0: Hello, and thanks for downloading this podcast. My name is Karen Killalee. I am a partner and head of the employment team at Maples and Calder, Ireland, the Maples Group's law firm in Dublin. If you are listening in from your usual podcast app, you will find any resource documents and speaker bio information in the description. And if you've clicked on the media player link sent to you via email, then you can find this information in the notes section. Please note that this podcast contains a general overview of a recent decision of the High Court on an employment law issue. It does not constitute legal advice. And if you have a specific situation or question, please feel free to reach out to any of us to seek tailored legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. OK, so in today's episode, I'm joined by my colleague kirini who's an associate on the employment team here at Maples Dublin. Today, we are talking about an interesting decision of the Irish High Court, which zoned in on an issue that we've been seeing a lot in practice recently, and that is the termination of employment during probation. So since the introduction of the Transparent and Predictable Working Conditions Regulations 2022, as listeners may know, probationary periods in Ireland cannot be longer than six months other than in exceptional circumstances. And where it is in the interest of the employee to make it longer than six months. As a result, employers are increasingly under pressure to make a fairly fast decision as to the suitability of employees during probation. And sometimes the decision is that employment needs to be terminated. With all of that in mind, we thought it might be helpful to run through the key principles which emerge from this High Court decision. It is quite a long name, but we're just going to call it. Buttimer versus Oak Fuel Supermarket Limited. Basically, the key point to bear in mind as we go through it is to note that this doesn't actually necessarily create any new law. What it does do is it reinforces the authority that it is still possible to terminate employment during probation for performance reasons without having to apply extensive and cumbersome fair procedures. The court has also made it clear, which reinforces the existing position, that where an employee is dismissed for misconduct as distinct from performance, then it is necessary to respect those rights to fair procedures and, and to engage fair procedure rights before any termination is effected. That's kind of the background and the backdrop to this. So let's take a look at what this means in practice. So Kira, maybe handing over to you, do you want to tell us a little bit about the background to this case?
1: Sure, absolutely. The plaintiff in in this case started working for the defendant at its retail premises, which is a fuel station and shop on the 7th of March in 2022 as a supervisor, with the promise that she would be promoted to store manager in due course.
0: It seems, though, from the outset, things started to go wrong, shall we say. So tell us what happened.
1: Yes, indeed. Within a couple of weeks of the plaintiff starting in her position, another employee alleged that the plaintiff had bullied her and others. It's worth noting that in the meantime, the plaintiff had signed a new contract of employment in respect of the role of store manager. And that contract referred to a six-month probationary period. As the employer didn't have an in-house HR function as a, a smaller employer, the defendant engaged the services of an external human resources consultancy firm to carry out a formal investigation into these allegations. A formal investigation commenced in accordance with the defendant's dignity at work policy and based on written terms of reference. While the investigation was ongoing, the defendant received further complaints of alleged bullying from co-workers about the plaintiff And these complaints were similar to the earlier complaints that were the subject of the ongoing investigation.
0: It's probably worth pausing for a minute on this
1: because the whole
0: crux of this case is to analyse the true reason for termination. So slight spoiler alert, there is a termination and there is a dispute over that. And we do know that the plaintiff denied that she engaged in any sort of bullying behaviour. That seems clear. But can you just talk to us a little bit about what the complaints related to and and sort of what the factual backdrop was here. What, What do we know about the allegations?
1: There were a number of allegations made by another employee in relation to the plaintiff's management duties and interpersonal relationships at work. So, for example, the plaintiff had allegedly told the complaining colleague that she could leave her job because there were multiple people who would take it and that the plaintiff had used foul language and inappropriate commentary in the workplace. While the investigation was ongoing, the defendant received further complaints of alleged bullying from co workers about the plaintiff, as we mentioned. And these complaints were similar to the previous complaints that were the subject of the ongoing investigation, including the plaintiff had been speaking to one employee about another behind her back and had asked the former not to tell the latter about the conversation. Before the investigation concluded, the operations manager met with the plaintiff on 17th of May and the plaintiff alleges that at this point her employment was terminated. Meanwhile, the respondent alleges that the plaintiff was notified that she had failed her probation at that point. During this discussion, the possibility of the plaintiff potentially taking up a new role in another retail outlet operated by the defendant was mentioned. And the plaintiff appeared to indicate that she would consider the option. Indeed, a meeting was even arranged at the other store for the following day.
0: It, it certainly seems, just based on what you've described, that the, the backdrop and the dignity at work investigation certainly would suggest that we were straying into the, the misconduct zone. But in any event, things took a slightly dramatic turn. So notwithstanding that sort of positive conversation where there was a discussion around potentially continuing to work. As we know, what happened next was that they didn't happily sort of continue the employment relationship. In essence, she instructed her lawyers to go to the High Court and apply for reliefs. So do you want to just tell us what she did in the High Court or what were the reliefs that she was looking for? Yes, she,
1: she applied to the High Court for a series of orders that would grant a number of different types of relief. So an order restraining her dismissal. She also sought an order restoring her salary, All benefits, bonuses and commission. She sought an order restraining the appointment of a replacement for her her role and finally restraining the defendant from publishing or communicating that she was no longer employed.
0: So the whole sort of suite of fairly stark orders which if granted really place an enormous burden on an employer but in any event before we get to the crux of this and whether the high court granted some or all of those orders let's do a quick recap on what the parties were arguing. So in essence the plaintiff was arguing that her employment was terminated in that 17th of May meeting because of allegations of misconduct made against her in May. And she said when you combine those with the allegations that were made earlier in April, all of this really stacked up to a misconduct dismissal and was just simply not true that she was dismissed because she didn't pass probation and her performance was not satisfactory. She said this was a misconduct dismissal and as such you should have ensured That you did not breach my constitutional right to, to fair procedures and natural justice. By contrast, the defendant obviously argued the reverse and the defendant said, look, the plaintiff's employment was terminated because she failed her probationary period. It was poor performance. She wasn't a good fit. She definitely was not dismissed for misconduct. But even if she was dismissed for misconduct, which was denied, her contract expressly excluded the application of the defendant's standard disciplinary procedures. So in effect, the defendant was saying, you know, she shouldn't be looking for this relief. I was perfectly entitled to terminate the employment during probation for performance reasons. Those were the positions of the plaintiff and the defendant. What did the High Court do? Can you tell us whether the High Court granted that relief or not?
1: Firstly, and possibly unsurprisingly, the Court refused to grant an order returning the plaintiff to the workplace due to the breakdown in trust and confidence between the parties. The Court also refused to make an order continuing pay, noting that the employer could terminate the employment on one week's notice. And the court granted the orders restraining the defendant from replacing her or from communicating that she no longer worked for the defendant. The court was satisfied that the plaintiff had established a strong case that the misconduct allegations complained of were discussed at the meeting and formed the basis, at least in part, for the decision to terminate her employment. The key issue, I suppose, in this case was the fundamental conflict of fact between the parties as to why the plaintiff's employment was terminated. And the court was satisfied that the plaintiff had established the strong case that her employment was terminated due to the allegations. The court held that the type of behaviour which is alleged against the plaintiff amounted to misconduct and would be understood to be such by reasonable persons. Justice Diggum noted that the mere fact that behaviour might also be considered to be a performance issue does not preclude it from being misconduct. Rather interestingly, with respect to the defendant's reliance on the recent Court of Appeal decision in Oversee, which many listeners will be familiar with, Justice Diggum stated that the authorities are clear that an employee may be let go during their probationary period for any reason, including performance, or indeed for no reason, without any obligation to afford fair procedures. The court noted, however, that it is equally clear as a matter of general principle that while at common law, an employer may be free to dismiss an employee for any reason or for no reason, where the dismissal or termination is for misconduct, the employer is obliged to comply with fair procedures.
0: Thanks for that. It is unusual that the High Court decided not to continue pay. Probably that is because as part of the legal test is for the court to try to find a route which creates the least risk of injustice in terms of granting a remedy, it seems that the court paid regard to the fact that the employment could in any event have been terminated during probation on one week's notice. So that likely influenced them in that regard. Can you explain specifically, I suppose, on the evidence, why the court found in favour of the plaintiff? Why did it believe her, essentially?
1: The court rejected the defendant's evidence that it had expressed concerns about the plaintiff's performance and managed her throughout the probationary period and noted that there was not a single contemporaneous document recording any feedback, training or instruction given to the plaintiff or recording that the employer had raised any performance issues with the plaintiff. The court held that it would be normal to expect such serious concerns to be noted, and if goals and dates were set, there would be some contemporaneous note or memo of some interaction with the plaintiff in relation to the expectations on her performance.
0: Perfect. So that's kind of a nice segue into the takeaways really from this decision. The takeaways are many contracts of employment will have quite detailed probationary provisions and it's very typical to see wording along the lines of you know, the company will monitor and assess the employee during the probationary period and will advise them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. feedback is necessary or if improvement is required. But very often that gets stashed in the desk and it doesn't actually get looked at. So it's really important to actually monitor probationary employees and to do so in a fair and reasonable manner. I think that's the first piece. The second key takeaway is it is really important to document both formal and informal feedback and and meetings. Just make a note of feedback that is given and anything that the employee might say. And in particular, where there are action points in terms of, you know, additional supports that need to be offered and and so forth. It's also important to arrange for those formal and periodic probationary reviews to take place. So at the very least, in a six-month probationary period, you want to have at least one mid-probation review. I think it's also important to consider, you know, very frequently we will see that clients will, will give as a reason for termination that the person is not a good fit or that they're not suitable or there's something a little bit intangible about the reason this case that we've just talked about is a really good reminder that it is important to be very clear as to what the reason is for the termination and if it is purely performance so you're just you're not hitting the KPIs you're not meeting the expectations in terms of output then If that is a performance termination, you're not obliged to apply the fair procedures that we've just talked about. However, if it is something other than performance, at least that should be acknowledged and recognized and appropriate advice taken so that a correct and fair and legally compliant processing, if you like, of that termination can take effect. It's important not to conceal or to re-characterize the real reason for a termination by simply stating that it is performance when it is not. One other point that's interesting to note from this decision is that it's very good to remember that, you know, reaching for the High Court injunction is not the preserve of necessarily very, very senior or C-suite employees. We do see from time to time that sometimes more junior or employees with very short service will also instruct their lawyers to go to the high court to seek orders restraining their dismissal. So good just to keep that in mind. For now, thank you for listening to the Maples Group Employment Law podcast. If you have any questions or queries on any of the points covered today or on employment legal issues in Ireland in general, please do get in touch with us. Thanks for listening and subscribing.